Good morning. If you are a visitor or a regular attender or a member, and my name is Pastor Jonathan, and I want you to know that you are welcome here this morning, and I am grateful that you have joined us. Now, security is important. Now, we all like to feel secure, now, not just perceived security, but actual security. Now, this is why we have alarms on our door. Uh, this is why we have locks on our door and why we have alarm systems on our homes and businesses. Now, this is why we have car door locks. We like security. Now, I love to go camping and do adventurous things outdoor. And when Natalie and I first got married, before we had kids, uh, Natalie liked to pretend that she enjoyed these ventures as well with me. But now that we've been married going on 13 years, she just lets me go by myself or with Titus while she stays indoors and near the city. Well, when we first got married, we went camping one night in East Texas at Lake Tawakini State Park. We went tent camping on the ground with a campfire to cook your food over. This was real camping. It was not RV camping, a real camping where we were sleeping on the ground in a tent. Natalie endured it because, well, we were still in the honeymoon phase of our lives. However, we were joined at the campsite next to us by some girls that what I could gather, it was the first time that they had ever been camping. They struggled getting their campfire made. They had brought food that was not the best choice of food to eat while camping. And instead of sleeping at a tent, they slept in the back of their SUV before this was a common thing to do. Natalie and I went to bed, and somewhere in the middle of the night, we were awoken by the sound of rooting pigs. Our camp neighbors had gone to bed in their SUV, and they had left all of their food just laying out on the picnic table, and wild hogs had come into the camp and were destroying everything. And we were in a tent on the ground while they were asleep, safe in their SUV. Now, this was not a good situation. Natalie was panicked, and I would never admit it, but I was panicked as well. We did not feel safe. However, I had my car keys right next to me, so I reached for them, and I set off the panic alarm. And with the lights flashing and alarm going off, the pigs ran away, much to our delight and to our assurance. Our neighbors popped out of their SUV to see what all the commotion was that was going on, only to discover that the food that they had, uh, that they had wanted for breakfast the next morning uh, was destroyed. Needless to say, we didn't feel very secure for the rest of the night, and security is important. However, security is not only important when we are sleeping in a tent or sleeping in a home, but real security is also important when we talk about salvation. Today in our text, I want us to see how God guards and offers all believers security in our salvation. Now, last week, we began walking through the book of 1 Peter. Now, let's review a little bit about the background of this book before we continue on in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through 5. First of all, we discovered last week, just like the title of the book tells us and the first verse of the first chapter, this book was written by Peter. See, Peter was a follower of Jesus Christ. He didn't always think before he jumped out of the boat, figuratively and literally. Yet it was Peter that Jesus proclaimed was the rock upon which he would build his church. 
And we saw that God used him mightily through the book of Acts, where thousands heard the good news of Jesus Christ, repented, and followed Jesus. It was this preaching from Peter that formed the birth of the church as we know it today. Now, Peter was writing this book to followers of Jesus Christ who were suffering for their faith in this day and time. And this book was written around 67 to 68 AD. It's one of the oldest books in the New Testament that we have other than the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John. And Peter wrote this book with the purpose of encouraging his readers to endure suffering and persecution by giving themselves entirely to God. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, so if you have a phone or a tablet, you can follow along with me on, in that translation. Now, we also have some pew Bibles available for you in the pews. If you did not bring your Bible, you are welcome to use that. And our passage today can be found on page 953 of our pew Bibles. Now, listen as I read out loud our passage today, 1 Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through a faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter begins in verse 3 saying, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter begins with a blessing for God. God is to be blessed and praised for the salvation that he has given to believers. Oftentimes this can be confusing to us because we'll say, Well, God is the one that blesses us. What can we offer to God? How can we bless God? Well, Peter here does not mean that we bless God in the way that God blesses us. See, God gives us his blessing, but we declare that God is the blessed one. And when we say these things, we praise God. See, God doesn't need our blessing. So in one sense, we cannot bless him. Hebrews 7, 7 says that the greater blesses the lesser, and we are certainly the lesser. See, God doesn't need to hear nice words in order to feel better about himself or to stay motivated to do good. God doesn't need our worship, but hear this. We need to worship God. When we worship God, it reminds us of God's goodness. It reminds us of God's graciousness. And our declaration that God is blessed and pours out his blessings upon us reminds us of this truth. We need to remember the goodness of God. Further, we have reason to praise God. Peter points out very vividly over these next three verses that we have much reason to praise God. In verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. First, we praise God because we have new birth. We are a new creation and we have been born again. Peter says that God has had mercy on us. Now the great preacher of the past, Jonathan Edwards, when talking about mercy said this, God is pleased to show mercy to his enemies. 
according to his own sovereign pleasure, though he is infinitely above all and stands in no need of creatures, yet he is graciously pleased to take a merciful notice of poor worms in the dust. So God has shown compassion and kindness towards an undeserving people, which he has called to salvation, causing us to be born again. Last year in our first John series, in first John chapter three, verse nine, we read, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. We learn that God's seed, his DNA is literally abiding within us. That our rebirth redefines our spiritual DNA. And whereas our spiritual DNA used to be of sin, now it is of God. See, God has caused us to be born again. We'll see this later in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, where it says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And we understand that we're not what we once were. As Christians, we now have a new father. And we have a new lineage and we have a new family. We no longer have a DNA abiding inside of us of sin. But now God's DNA is literally abiding in us. And this new birth initiated by God the Father who has had mercy on us results in new life. This is cause for praise. We no longer have a spiritual representation in Adam or in sin like we saw in our Advent series in Genesis 3. But we have a new spiritual representation in God through Jesus. So we praise God because we have been born again. But not only have we been born again, but we have been born again to a living hope. This word hope that we see in the Bible, it's not like what we mean when we say hope. It's not, I hope that we have snow today. Or I hope that a certain football team makes it to the Super Bowl, which will not be the Cowboys. No, this hope in the Bible is a certain expectation of a future event. However, Peter doesn't just say that you've been born new to hope alone. No, you have a living hope Peter explains, you have a living hope grounded in Jesus Christ alone. See, Jesus was mocked and beaten and abused and killed, but he didn't remain in that grave. See, if Jesus had remained in that grave, then our faith would be in vain. And we would be a hopeless people. And without Jesus' resurrection, we would still be in our sin. However, three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. He defeated sin and death. And because of Jesus' resurrection, we don't have a dead faith, a dead hope. No, we have a living hope that rests in a supernatural power of Jesus Christ, who once again showed that he was God through his resurrection. Peter is saying to those that he's writing to, Hey, I know that you're suffering for your faith now. I know that you're enduring persecution for your belief in Jesus. But remember, heaven is coming. This is not the end. There is more. You have a living hope that rests in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We praise God because we have a new birth. Further, we praise God because we have a living hope that rests in a secure possession. Now look at me with verse 4. It says this, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
Peter now digs in a little deeper about what our living hope, about what our future looks like for believers. Peter says that we praise God because we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection to an inheritance. But what does Peter mean by this language of an inheritance? In our day and time, when we hear the word inheritance, we might be quickly uh, to think of, quick to think of uh, hearing when a relative passes away and they leave their money or they leave their homes or they leave their cars or businesses to someone in their family. And in the Old Testament, when we hear the language of inheritance, uh, we understand that this was the land that God had promised his people. However, Peter here is not speaking about houses, cars, or land. He's about He's speaking about the end-time hope that lies before believers. Although they are strangers and exiles, like we saw last week, who are facing suffering, their hope is directed to an inheritance that comes after death, their future inheritance. Peter then gives us four traits about this future inheritance. First, he says, our inheritance is imperishable. Peter says that our inheritance is, Cannot perish. When we use this word, it means that it's unable to be destroyed. Oftentimes, when we hear this word in our day and time, it's used with our groceries. We talk about perishable items like our meat or our eggs or our dairy that need to be in the refrigerator quickly or else they will spoil. Well, Peter says that our future inheritance that we have is secure because it's unable to be spoilt, it is imperishable. Further, our inheritance is undefiled. In other words, it's not polluted. It's hard for us to even imagine a world that is undefiled by sin. A world without locks or a world without alarms or a world with no jails or no need for police or no sin. Often when a person here on earth receives an inheritance, maybe it's a business or a home or wealth, it quickly becomes defiled after it is possessed. It becomes polluted or ruined or not pure. But Peter says that our future inheritance will never be defiled. Peter says that it'll be like unlike anything that we've ever known, that our inheritance will not be stained with sin, that we will be perfect and all around us will be perfect as well. Even further, Peter says our inheritance is unfading, that our living hope to an inheritance is unfading. Other hopes may fade like Outdoor furniture does here in West Texas, in the West Texas sun, or other hopes may pass by and die out, but our living hope is unfading. Now, as I've gotten closer to 40 than I am 30, I figured out that this human body is quickly fading, that it is falling into a state of decay. I've noticed that there's a lot less hair on top of my head than there used to be that aches and pains appear just from simply sleeping the wrong way on the bed at night. Or an unusual amount of soreness appears after I attempt to do what was just routine a few years ago. However, Peter says that our future inheritance that we have hope in is unfading. It will never be subject to decay. This is good news because when our own bodies are reunited with Christ on that final day, we will be restored. We will be made new. We will be made complete. This is the inheritance that awaits all of us who are in Christ. We look forward to an inheritance that never fades, that never becomes defiled and never perishes. That is some great news, isn't it? It places within us a future-looking hope that allows us to endure even the most difficult and oppressive circumstances here on earth. 
And even though, spiritually speaking, we are presently homeless in this world, we have the hope of a future home, an eternal inheritance that will never lose its glory. Look at this even further. Peter tells us that we can be sure that our future inheritance is secure because it's being kept in heaven for us. When we read this language, we can often think of Matthew 6, 20, where we read, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And like the treasure of Matthew 6, 20, our inheritance is safe as well, because it's being kept in heaven for us. In fact, the form of this verb, kept, indicates that this is a completed past activity by God, with results that are still continuing on in the presence. In other words, our inheritance has already been stored up or reserved for us in heaven, and it's still being continued to be reserved for us in heaven. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, hear me, you've got a reservation in heaven, and that is good news. Maybe you're like me, and you've made a reservation at a hotel or a restaurant or with an airline, only to discover that when you've arrived, your reservation has been canceled or overbooked or given to someone else. However, our reservation in heaven, our inheritance, will never be denied to us. It is being kept. And notice who it's being kept for. It's not being kept for your neighbor. It's not being kept for your pastor. It's not being kept for anyone else. But your inheritance is being kept for you. You can trust that your living hope is rest in a secure possession and that our future inheritance is secure. It is imperishable. It is undefiable. It is unfading. And it is being kept for you. What a hope that is. We praise God because our inheritance is secure. Further, we praise God because our inheritance is secure with superior protection. Look at verse 5 with me. It says this, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The news of a new life that leads to a living hope and a future inheritance is exciting. But how can we know that in the face of suffering or temptation that we will persevere to the end and reach this inheritance? I mean, we talked last week about how difficult it is to live as a Christian in this life. It is difficult to do the right thing at the right time when we are constantly bombarded with insults and ridicule and abuse and temptation. Just like we saw Peter, who we saw last week as a disciple and an apostle, denied Jesus three times, we might be fearful as well of how tempting it might be for us to deny Jesus in our times of suffering and temptation or even persecution. See, a future inheritance is exciting. But how can we know that we will persevere to the end and reach this inheritance? Peter tells us there is good news. The God who keeps our inheritance secure in heaven is also the God who keeps his children secure on earth for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The big church phrase for this belief is perseverance of the saints, or in years past it's been referred to as once saved or always saved. And Peter assures us of the security of our salvation. And Peter says not only that is our inheritance being kept for us, but it's also being guarded for us by God's power. 
This phrasing is a picture of a fortress or a military camp. And our inheritance is within that fortress. And outside of the fortress are things that are seeking to attack our inheritance. However, within the camp, within the fortress, is an overwhelming force of the power of God who is guarding and protecting our future inheritance. Further, Peter says that this protection is simply received through faith, through commitment to trusting and obeying God. See, God knows what it is that threatens our faith. So he guards us during those trials, sustaining our faith by his power. And for Christians, suffering is unavoidable. But God promises to watch over us, helping us to endure in our faith. But what is our faith enduring for? Well, look at this. It says, it is for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You may say, well, I thought I was already saved if I've professed and confessed that Jesus is Lord. You are. You may say, well, I thought I was in the process of being saved. You are. You may say, well, you mean I will be saved in the future? You will be. You see, we praise God because according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And we have a living hope through Jesus Christ's resurrection that we are saved, that we are being saved, and that we will be saved. And at the moment of belief, when you proclaim Jesus is Lord, you are justified. That means that God sees you as not guilty of your sinfulness because you have a new identity in Christ and you are saved. As you grow in your belief, as you grow in your faith, you are being sanctified. That big word that we saw last week that simply means that you're becoming more like Jesus. You're being saved from your sin nature. You're becoming more like Jesus and less like the sin of this world. And then one day, We will be glorified after our life here on this earth. We will step into the fullness of the glory of God and we will be in glory. At that point, we will be saved. Saved from the despair and depth of the sin of this world and saved to the fullness of the glory of God. We are given the promise in Romans 8.30 that those whom he justified, he also glorified. So we can trust that if you have faith to carry to call on the name of the Lord for salvation, then one day you will find yourself in the fullness of the glory of God. And in 1 Peter 1.5, we see a glorious promise that the God who justifies us protects our faith for us by his power. One commentator offered this observation. If God's power does not protect us from unbelief, it's hard to see what it does. How is God protecting us until the end if it's not his power guarding, if his guarding plays no role in our continuing faith? At this point, we may even think about the popular Mark 24 passage where a boy's father who is seeking a miracle for his son declared to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. See, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 contains an amazing, glorious, refreshing promise for all believers. God's power is guarding your salvation. 
You cannot lose it. You can't sin so much that you can lose your salvation. You can't forget to pray a prayer of forgiveness and lose your salvation. Listen and hear me. You couldn't do anything to earn it, so you certainly can't do anything to lose it. Further, God hears your prayers for helping your unbelief before you have even prayed them. We saw in Romans 8.30 that God knew who would be saved. And God has called you to salvation if you have called on His name. If you have understood your sinfulness and need for God, then God has called you to salvation. And He knew that you would be saved before you were ever, before you ever existed in this world. We see in Romans 10 that when your sinfulness is revealed to you, it's your responsibility to call on the name of the Lord for salvation. And if you have called on the name of the Lord for salvation and declared that Jesus is Lord, then you have been justified. And this makes Romans 8.30 so beautiful because it says, Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorifies. Believer, you have a future promise of your salvation. And Peter promises you here that your salvation is being guarded by God's power. What a rest is there in that, believer. What a rest is there in the reality that you're not earning your salvation. What a comfort is there in the fact that we cannot lose what it is that we have not earned. Believer, why do we praise God? We praise God because of His great mercy and compassion that He has had on us to be, cause us to be born again out of sin and into Him, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But further, He has promised a future inheritance of salvation that is imperishable, it's undefiable, it's unfading, and He is keeping it for us. Further, God's power is guarding us for our future and final salvation. What a promise is there in that. We praise God because our living hope rest in a superior protection. And these verses contain an overwhelming amount of confidence that we can have in our living hope in Jesus Christ. Peter has pointed out that our living hope rests in our new birth, the security of our inheritance and the superiority of the one doing the protecting. Now, Peter was writing to a people who were suffering in his day who were suffering through persecution and suffering through discouragement and through illness and through dealing with the effects of sin in their lives and culture. Today, we are a people gathered in this room who are suffering as well. We may not deal with the same type of persecution as our brothers and sisters in other countries or those that did in Peter's day. But this doesn't diminish the fact that being a Christian in the 21st century America is not easy it's not popular and it's not politically correct. Today, we are still a people who are dealing with suffering. We're dealing with the effects of sin in our lives and in our culture. And Peter's answer to those in his culture was to offer them hope, a living hope found in Jesus Christ alone. And today, I want you to know I have nothing new to offer you. We are still suffering. We are still dealing with the effects of sin in our lives. And what God's word has to offer you today is still the same living hope found in Jesus Christ alone. So today, I want this living hope 
to encourage you in your walk with Christ. To do that, I want to offer three observations from our text today. Observation one is this. We need to remember the goodness of God. Peter in verse 3 begins a long sentence that runs all the way through verse 12, but he begins with blessing God. And like we said earlier, it can be confusing when we say, uh, why do we need to begin with blessing God? Because what can we offer God? How can we bless God? Well, it's not that we bless God in the same way that God blesses us. See, our blessing is through telling God of his goodness. And to do that, we first need to remember his goodness. How do we do that practically? Practically, we do this when we pray. And when we pray to God, we recall in our minds the goodness of God to offer Him praise for. What about those times where you can't think of anything to pray or you can't think of anything to praise God for? Hear me, I, I know that discouragement is real. I know that the effects of this sinful world are real. And it's hard to see the goodness of God sometimes. And in these times, we can simply Pray scripture. We put a tool in your hands through our prayer journal of allowing you to do just this. We've broken down the passages uh, that I'll be preaching every week through the book of 1 Peter and have them in this prayer journal. For example, you can go to the prayer journal to pray the word and you can pray something like this with the passage that we've seen today. You can say, God, thank you for your great mercy. God, your mercy Your compassion has been the cause and the effect of me being born again, of not remaining in a life of sin. Thank you for rescuing me out of the despair of my old life and causing me to be born again to a living hope. So practically, to remember the goodness of God, you can first pray. Well, how else can we remember the goodness of God? Well, we can also do this through the reading of God's Word. This doesn't have to be deep. It doesn't have to be a Greek New Testament in one hand and a commentary in the other hand. This can just be simply reading and thinking deeply about what it is that you have read. When we read passages like what we've just looked at, even three verses, it causes us to remember the goodness of God in saving us and guarding our salvation. Now, if you're like me, you're a planner and you set out on your perfect plan of reading the Bible through in a year, And then life happens. Uh, Life gets in the way, and before you know it, you're off track of your perfect plan. So what? Uh, Pick up where you left off. Don't worry about following a legalistic pattern for your scripture rating, but aim to be in the Word each and every day. Why? Because it reminds you of the goodness of God and causes you to praise Him. You can also use your prayer journal in this respect to meditate deeply upon the passage of 1 Peter that we are preaching through each and every week as we read the Word and we write the Word and we pray the Word. So practically, remember the goodness of God. You first pray and then read God's Word daily. What else can you do? Well, we can also worship. Just like we said, we worship privately through reading God's Word daily and through prayer However, we also need to worship in our households as we look together at the Bible and spend time in prayer. We spend time in family worship. Well, what does that look like? Well, it doesn't have to be anything too complex or anything too deep. We're not calling you to be a pastor, but it is taking time a few days each week in your household to pause and to focus on God and worship as a family. 
to remember the goodness of God in your household together. Now, many of our families look differently, so family worship will look differently for all of us. Some of us live alone. Some of us live with a roommate. Some of us are children that live with our parents, and some of us are parents that have children in our homes. And some of us live with a spouse and are empty nesters. Whatever your family unit looks like, the goal in your household should be to worship together a few times each week and to remember the goodness of God in your homes. Now, just for a moment, I want to give a word of encouragement to the men in the room. Men, you are the spiritual leaders in your home. Ephesians 5 through 6 calls you to lead your household well, to lead your home in spiritual worship. It doesn't mean you need to be perfect, but men, it is your responsibility to point your wife and your family toward Jesus through setting the example for far too long. And mama has had to be the spiritual leader of the home. Dads in the room, men in the room, may that stop right here and right now. If you are a man and you are married, or you are planning on being married one day, you need to commit right now to be the spiritual leader in your home. It is what God has called you to do. It is what you are commanded to do. And it's what your wife and your children deserve. Men, lead your families to worship God in and outside of your homes to remember the goodness of God. Lastly, we worship God by gathering together as a corporate body each week to remember the goodness of God together. So practically, to remember the goodness of God, you first pray, read God's Word daily, and then worship God in our households and outside of our households. Listen, God doesn't need our worship, but remember, we need to worship God. We need to remember the goodness of God in our lives. Observation number two, we need to live as a people with hope. Much of our world today walks around hopeless. Their hope is in the stock market and then it crashes and we see people devastated or maybe their hope is in their job and then they lose that job and then they're crushed or maybe even their hope is in the perfect marriage and then they realize that there's no perfect people so there is no perfect marriage. So much of our world is walking around devastated and crushed and defeated and hopeless. However, this should not be the reality for Christians. We need to be a people who live as a people with hope because we have a living hope. Now, Peter reminds us that we have been born again to a living hope, that we have the assurance of salvation. Further, our assurance of salvation is not in something that can be ruined by this world. So like Peter said in verses 1 through 2 that we saw last week, we truly are strangers in a foreign land because we live in a hopeless world as a people with hope. This doesn't mean that we can always obtain this goal because we're still sinners living in a sinful world, feeling the effects of sin. But the goal, the aim, should be to remember the goodness of God, to live as a people with hope. Christian, be encouraged today. You have a reason to be hopeful Your reservation, your salvation, your treasure is being stored up for you in a place where nothing from this world can ruin it. That leads me to our last observation. Observation number three is this. Christian, we need to live 
confidently in the security of our salvation. Oftentimes, when you ask people if they think they're going to heaven when they die, they will respond with something like this. Well, I hope I'm good enough to get in to heaven. Or I hope I've done enough good deeds at the end of my life to outweigh the bad ones. Well, the Greek word for this is hogwash. This is no way to live. And it's certainly not how Jesus wants you to live. If you are a believer in here today, I want you to dwell on the promise that we have in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. God is guarding your salvation. If you have called on the name of the Lord for salvation, if you have proclaimed, I believe, then we know that was a work of the Holy Spirit who revealed to you your need for Christ, which caused you to cry out to God for salvation. And if you have done this, I want you to rest in the fact that there is nothing that you could do to earn your salvation. So there's certainly nothing that you can do to lose it. So the enemy will cause you to despair. He will cause you to doubt, but God gives us confident assurance and security in our salvation. We need to live as a people with confidence in the security of our salvation. We have a living hope, not a maybe hope. However, just a word of caution, believer. Don't allow your confidentness to become conceitedness. Just because you can be confident in Christ doesn't mean you have anything to boast or to be proud in. It doesn't mean you can live however you want. Remember, it was your sin that placed Jesus upon the cross. Let's not roll around in it, but let's run and repent from it. Let's be confident when we repent in the security of it. And maybe you are here today and you say, well, I feel the weight of my sinfulness. I feel the need to repent. I know that I'm a sinner, but I've never cried out and asked God for repentance. I want you to hear this truth today. Romans 5, 8 tells us, But God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we did nothing to earn Christ dying for us. In fact, we were sinners when he died for us. In fact, Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's the eternal separation from God in this life and the next. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, we are deserving of eternal separation from God because of our sin. God is holy. He cannot be associated with sin. Not because he hates us, but because of his character. So God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man to be born on earth as a baby and lived a perfect life. He went to a cross. He died for everyone's sin, but he didn't remain dead. No, three days later, he defeated sin and death by rising from the grave. And he is now in heaven with his father. And through his perfect life, his death on the cross and his resurrection, he became the payment for your sins. Romans 10, 9 that we've referenced a lot today says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Today, you can have the same confident assurance in an eternal salvation that I have been sharing about. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, repent of your sins and you follow him. Listen, you can't be good enough to earn your way into heaven 
If you could, then why would God have needed to send his only son to earth? Listen, you can't be wealthy enough to buy your way into heaven. You can't be famous enough to talk your way into heaven. The only way to heaven is through calling on the name of Jesus that you believe in him, repenting of your sin and following him. Today, when we sing and I go down front, you can come down front and I can help you cry out to God for the first time. God, I believe. God, forgive me. God, I will follow you. And you can have this same confidence in the security of your salvation that many of us have in this room today. Christians, I pray that God's word has made much of Jesus in your life this morning. I pray that God's word has reminded you to remember the goodness of God, to live as a people with a living hope, and to live as a people confident in the security of our salvation so that we in return can praise God. Today, our big idea is this. Because we have a living hope, we can live with a confidence in a secure salvation. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Believer in this room, maybe today you need to come to this altar and pray that God would allow you to remember His goodness Maybe you need to come and ask for forgiveness. This altar is here so we can use it. Let's meet with the Lord today. Christian, be reminded that we are a people with a living hope who can be confident in the security of our salvation. And let's in return praise God. Maybe you're in this place today and you're not sure why you are here in this room or here on this earth. I want you to know that today God is calling you to find your identity in Christ alone. That God is calling you to salvation. That God is offering you peace. Won't you respond today? Believers, the altar is open. Let's do business with the Lord today. Church, I love you. Let's pray.